Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Back from Montana and in Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us, as always, straight out of the film room in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. Yo, what's going on, man? Uh, we're, uh, we're 0-3 right now. Uh, we're looking for some, some answers. We've, uh, we've made a few changes. Uh, we've had a couple good, good days of practice, and we'll see kind of how we respond on Friday. But... Um, I'm, I'm fired up about uh, another new edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. And I know uh, you, uh, as OC, though, you're 2-0 and this year, Coach. So at least you got that going for you. Yes, yes. And it's scoring a combined 82 points in both of those victories. So um, if, if, I, uh, if I may pat myself on the back a little bit, uh, I will do that. Maybe that's a sign of good things to come for the future. But we'd re- be remiss if we didn't introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man whose new favorite pattern is definitely the pinwheel. It is our intrepid <laughs> blogger from uh, the Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, you know, they uh, they brought it out again at Kinnick Stadium for the, the game with Iowa State. Looks great in person. Uh, took a couple pictures. They came out pretty nice. It's always fun when they do that, and I know a lot of other teams around the country have started doing that. It just looks so much cooler on those overhead shots. Yeah, it's, to do it. it is definitely pretty stunning to watch on TV. So, well, let's get into it, um, guys, for our little recap here of week two. Not a lot of big games this week, but... Uh, some really interesting storylines. So we're going to be taking maybe a couple little different uh, diversions than we do usually, but we're going to start, as always, with some quick slants. And so, Josh, you're out running patterns first. Yeah, my quick slant is actually more like a two – like a two uh, – I can't even talk right now, Matt. You're going to have to edit this. Uh, yeah, my quick slant is more like a, a play that develops a little more slowly. It's more like a hook and lateral because both my slants are related to each other. The first one is – I'm going to talk about three coaches that I think are now on the hottest seat in the country. Some people might disagree, but at least in my opinion, these are the three eyes. Then my second part will be throwing out some names to replace them. So without much of a surprise, Purdue's uh, Daryl Hazel, that loss to Cincinnati was terrible. It was Cincinnati's first true road win at a Big Ten school since 1959. You're breaking 50-year-old records. You're either doing something really well or something really wrong, and Purdue's on the wrong end right now. Cincinnati racked up over 500 yards of offense. Didn't even look that good during the game as Purdue got almost doubled up. 38-20 down there in Kentucky. One of the Stoops brothers, they're 0-2. He fired his offense coordinator in the offseason. He went to the uh, Southern Miss Mustard Buzzards, and they won the opener. And then against Florida, they scored seven points late in garbage time. That was it. The offense was a shambles. Defense hasn't looked much better. Not what you want to do. And then lastly, Dave Doran down there at NC State. Losing at a smaller school is never good, but he left some points out on the field. He went for a two-point conversion early. That was a little questionable. Then they went for a fake field goal when they were in chip shot territory. And then on a fourth and short, decided to kick a very long field goal. All those gambles came up short. When you're outcoached, by a guy making his second career head coaching job. Like, it was literally his second game, and you've been out of school for four years now, well, three and a half, kind of. It's it's not going to go well. So those are my three hottest seats in the country. All right, all right. Uh, Coach, how are you, uh, how are you feeling about some quick slants? Well, uh, my, my quick slant is more going to be like a, uh, a fast screen. Um, I'm just going to kind of pump my feet and stand up and catch and go. Um, I'm going to talk about this Georgia game for a second, and I never thought in a million years that I would be talking about it this week, but apparently I am. Uh, those of you who uh, got lost in all the uh, all the great games that were on on Saturday probably didn't see this uh, doozy of a game 
where uh, FCS doormat Nickel State um, out of Thibodeau, Louisiana, uh, came into uh, Sanford Stadium and about came away with a victory. Uh, would have been probably the worst loss in college football history or uh, best win in college football history, depending on which way you look at it. But a lot of things with, uh, with a young team, a uh, young head coach, young coaching staff, new coaching staff, a lot of things just kind of went against Georgia. Uh, Georgia shot themselves in the foot a lot. Uh, it was a very sloppy, sloppy game. Uh, just wanted to make note of it because of uh, the fact that you can't overlook anybody these days. Anybody can come in and beat you if you play if you play sloppy. And Georgia almost gave one away, uh, but they're going to get some things cr- uh, corrected. They've got uh, an important road game coming up this week against Missouri that they'll likely be ready for. But uh, one guy I want to shout out is Trent Trent Thompson. Uh, he's uh, he's probably the best. He's probably the uh, the best NFL prospect on that defense. He plays defensive tackle. Um, he was highly touted coming in, and he's still highly touted now. Um, you know, he had a monster game. Uh, just seemed like he was there to kind of help hold the uh, the uh, the Georgia defense together. And if it weren't for Aaron Davis, Georgia loses this game. Aaron Davis had a strip sack that was returned for a touchdown by Lorenzo Carter. That play doesn't happen. Georgia comes out of there with a loss. So uh, big ups to him as well. Um, and uh, hopefully for Georgia fans, it will be a lot smoother coming up this week. Yeah, I, ho- I, I certainly hope so. They did not put on the performance that we were really expecting them to. So uh, my first my first quick slant is actually going to turn into a, a slant and go. I'm going to take up both of them at once. So I'm going to start by talking about uh, – that um, that it's a trap game from last week of Louisville Syracuse, and you know we talked about you know coming into the Carrier Dome. There's a lot of excitement going on, but uh, Louisville got out to a fast start, 28 points in the first quarter, and just kept it up, putting 62 on the Orange and showing that while the Orange you know does have they do have some offense, they put 28 points. It was respectable, 35-21 at halftime. They don't quite have the horses yet to keep up with Louisville, and especially with Lamar Jackson. This guy, two weeks, he's already got 13 combined touchdowns. Um, he, uh, this past week alone, 610 total yards and five touchdowns, uh, 411 through the air, 199 on the ground. He is tearing it up, and there is, you know, he's too fast and too quick when he gets in the open field. Um I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with not only him, but also Brandon Radcliffe on that Louisville team. Um, he is a, a senior uh, running back for them, and he is really coming into his own this season. Uh, you know, so far he's got, um, uh, you know, 178 yards and a touchdown from scrimmage. But he's just been also, uh, you know, very helpful in the past game. He's been doing a lot of, really solid pass blocking for them as well. He looks just really, really solid. Those two in the backfield are putting up some big, big numbers. On the other side of the, uh, of the ball, though, uh, a couple guys I want to highlight on this Orange team. Uh, Amba Etatawo, uh, wide receiver, big, big target for Syracuse quarterback Eric Dungy. Had himself a nice game, eight catches, 103 yards, two touchdowns, and he was a real matchup problem for some of the DBs on the Cardinals squad because uh, they just couldn't, you know, they could not be as physical as, uh, uh, they cannot out-physical him. He's a, you know, big guy. He's listed at 6'2", 202, but he plays bigger than that. Out in the field, it looks like he's about 6'4". So, you know, I was I, I was really impressed. He got, you know, he was able to get open consistently um, for Dungy uh, on the night. You know, Dungy put the ball in the air 51 times, um, only completed, uh, you know, half his passes, 25 for 51 for 255 yards. But, um, you know, when, when they're throwing it to Taiwo or to Etatawo, you know, they, they look really good. But this game is really all about Lamar Jackson. And that leads me into the go route from the slant and go. And that is sort of a way too early Heisman watch. And coming into the year, you know um, – Easy there, Joe Tessator. Hey, hey, listen, you know what? I, I, I you got to keep an eye on this kind of stuff, man. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, Christian McCaffrey uh, was sort of, you know, the, I think he's the odds on, was the odds on favorite along with uh, Deshaun Watson coming into the year. But so far through two weeks, you've got to, you've got to say that Lamar Jackson is, 
uh, you know, has got to be the front runner after the two performances he's put up so far. Um, but not only him, McCaffrey himself is having a really, you know, he didn't play this week, but we still expect big things from McCaffrey. Um, Donnell Pumphrey, who we will talk about a little bit later, had himself another huge game against Cal. Um, we also, you know, want to throw a little bit of love out there to Nick Chubb, who's been turning it up on the ground for Georgia. Uh, oh, uh, not so much last week. But. Yeah, but that opening week, though, uh, you know, that was that was quite a showing. JT Barrett, they haven't played anyone yet, but, man, he is – he looks like he is a man uh, who is very happy and ready to lead that Ohio State Buckeye squad. And, um, you know, I just wanted to highlight a couple of these guys. But I think right now, you know, Lamar Jackson's got a nice little, uh, you know, two-week run going. And I, and I hope that, you know, this turns into um, a, a big race. But one other guy that, uh, you know, we should, uh, you know, sort of throw some throw some props to is Kalen Ballage from Arizona State. Uh, eight touchdowns this week, new NCAA record, seven rushing, one receiving. And he did it while only having 185 total yards, um, which is honestly even more impressive that um, he scored a touchdown. He scored one touchdown for every 20 yards he gained or so, which is a pretty ridiculous count by, uh, you know, at least in my opinion. Can we please have Louisville play Texas Tech? Because I just want to see what Lamar does. I want to see Louisville play Arizona State. I mean, Texas Tech scored through, put up 55 on Arizona State. That, uh, I hope you had the over in that game, by the way. 68-55 is not a score you see every day. So um, when, you know, when you're Arizona State's quarterback in that game put up 350 yards and he wasn't even close to the top performer in terms of passing because uh, Patrick Mahomey put up 540 yards through the air, um, which is just, you know, numbers that are I, I'd say they're video game numbers but that you know that undersells what they are that's you know absolutely patently absurd but um so yeah but you know Ballage he keeps us up he will definitely find himself a spot in New York uh come December so Josh uh I know you gave us some coaches on the hot seat a little bit earlier but now you've got some uh some replacements for him I believe I do, yeah. So the lateral portion of my hook and lateral paid homage to Central Michigan University's awesome win that we'll obviously be talking about shortly. So um, I'm going to ignore the big, like, A-plus names, the pie in the sky guys, because the three schools I highlighted are good programs, but they're not blue-chip programs. So I think a guy like Lincoln Riley, a guy like Brent Venables, they can call their shot. They're waiting for something like LSU to open up, something – Big, big, big like that. I'm also going to leave out Art Bryles. Uh, the, the scandal at Baylor was definitely at the university level, and he's kind of been the scapegoat for it. But he also wasn't blameless. I think he'll eventually get back into the game, but it's too much to assume he'll get back a year removed. So I'm going to kind of dig deep a little bit. And for Purdue, I was thinking, you know, the Big Ten is one of the few leagues remaining that you can really get by with defense. We've seen Minnesota – be competitive with a great defense and not much offense. Iowa made the Big Ten title game last year with a great defense and an okay offense, but nothing spectacular. You know, D'Antonio built up the entire Spartan program relying on that defense. So I think Purdue needs to target some defense because they're trying to relive the Joe Tiller glory days, but he actually only won nine games three times in his career. He was not spectacular. So I got a perfect name for him. Purdue, Jim Levitt, and I know I talk him up all the time, but he was fantastic at South Florida, 95 and 57. That's actually a better record than Joe Tiller had at Purdue. The, uh, you know, he's rebuilt that Colorado defense. He spent some time in the NFL, and because he still has a little bit of a stigma with him, I think they'll be able to get him cheap because Purdue's not a program that's going to want to pay anyone. And I sort of figure if Mike Leach got to let go from Texas Tech for a similar reason as Levitt did at South Florida. If he can be back in the game, seems like Levitt can get a head coaching job. Uh, down there at NC State, I was sort of looking at the ACC, and I'm not sure that NC State can do a defensive identity. Vanderbilt, uh, 
Clemson plays, pays Venables a fortune to coach up that defense. BC and Wake Forest is sort of doing a rebuilding, focusing on defense. NC State, if they go that route, will kind of be behind the eight ball of a bunch of other teams. So I think they need to do what Georgia Tech and Syracuse did, and that is find some offense. And I kind of like Scott Satterfield down there at Appalachian State. I had the 11-win season. He's done really well there. Everyone talks about how well-coached that team is. He was a quarterback, an offensive coordinator. I know he played at App State. I know he's coached there a long time, so I'm not sure he would love to go. But his hometown is like 40-minute drive away from Raleigh. It's not a stretch. I think they should at least think about trying to pry him out of Boone, North Carolina. And then lastly... The Kentucky decision is the one that I'm actually most proud of. So he, uh, he's from West Virginia. He's coached in West Virginia for a long time. He's currently at Marshall. So similar to Satterfield, it might not be easy to get him out, but they should at least try. He was the recruiting coordinator and associate head coach at Florida for three years. He's maintained those ties Doc Holiday pride Raheem Cato out of Florida to Marshall. Can you imagine if Kentucky had an athlete of that magnitude? It's a great job evaluating talent. Marshall is on a roll right now. He's won 10 games, 13 games, and 10 games. It is three most recent seasons after rebuilding the program. He's 4-0 and in bowl games. This guy can coach with the best of them. And as we've seen from other teams in the SEC – Offense is really the key now. It's become an arms race. A&M and Ole Miss run that high-powered offense. Arkansas has an offensive identity. So I think that trying to do the Vanderbilt method of relying on defense isn't going to work. Will Muschamp, the last defensive-minded coach, he's already on his second job. I think they need to find some offense down there at Kentucky. And before Coach does his quick slants, I would love – what do you think of these three names I threw out there? Well, uh, I, I love each and every one of them. Uh, as far as uh, getting on Venables, I, I don't know that he's necessarily looking to become, you know, a, a head coach. Um, you know, he might be, he might be satisfied with his $1.3 million to be, uh, to coordinate that defense and do a, do a uh, good job of it. And, yeah, he might be Bud know. Foster 2.0. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he might be, and and you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. You know, the world needs, you know, the college football world needs those type of people, and you know, I appreciate what he does defensively, and you know, the, the defensive guys like Brent Venables and Bud Foster and Will Muschamp and guys like that. I, I think that you know, there's certainly a class of defensive coordinators that fit the mold as head coaches. And I was having a conversation uh, with a friend of mine about this actually, and uh, I kind of. Uh, I kind of circled back into this point, and my original point was that a good defensive coordinator is generally not a good head coach, but um, I've kind of backed away from that point thinking about all the, the former defensive coordinators that are that are now successful head coaches. But, you know, you got to think of the ones that are more emotionally high-strung, like your uh, Will Muschamp's, Bud Foster's, Brent Venables-type people. I don't think they can handle the emotional swings that it takes to be a head football coach. You know, guys like Kirby Smart, who's a little, you know, he's passionate and he's enthusiastic and, and he's emotional, but he does have that level-headedness about him. Uh, guys like Nick Saban, guys like Pat Narduzzi, Bob Diaco, uh, those type guys that that do have that uh, mental capacity to, you know, to not only be, you know, to not only be passionate, but also be calm enough to, to lead a team, you know, when things are going poorly or, or when you need something in a clutch moment, they're those guys that are sitting there. So, um, as far as like Venables goes, I, I just think he's too high strung, really, uh, for for lack of better words. Um, you know, Jim Levitt, he's done it before. Um, he's probably a little too too high strung as well, but I think he's I think he does a better job for the most part of managing. I think he's had a couple of couple of blow ups, but for the most part, I think he does a pretty good job managing it. Uh, Bo Pelini, somebody that could get his name back out there. Um, he's been at Young, he's at Youngstown State right now. He could get his name back in the mix somewhere. Maybe a Purdue uh, land himself back in the Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a name that you know we haven't circled back around to. And you know he's he's still out there, and he was relatively successful at Nebraska. 
uh, not quite what they wanted. I think it was more of his attitude and the way he treated people versus his actual win loss record. So, um, you know, I, I really like a lot. Of, I really like all those names you say. You know, Lincoln Riley's a guy that could come in and and, and be that young energy for a program. Um, kind of like what. Uh, and I'm I'm thinking, I don't know who's the guy that took over at North Texas. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Maybe you guys can help me out. Who's it? Uh, Seth Luttrell, I believe. Yeah, Seth Luttrell. He came from North Carolina. He he's that young guy that I'm thinking of when I think of Lincoln Riley. Um, and he, they might be completely opposite in age, but, um, you know, he's, he's kind of that energy that I think of, um, you know, becoming one of these head coaching roles, I think he'd be a, a great fit somewhere. He's a good recruiter, you know, great football minds and got, you know, somebody that can, that can really do it. So, um, and we, we, you know, we'll, we'll circle back around to this one when we get into our, uh, black Monday show, um, yeah. Um, if, so. if, if I'm Purdue, the one guy I'm really going after is PJ Fleck. Um, yes, that, that, well, that's the guy. That that's the guy. If I'm Purdue, that I am I'm targeting. Mm-hmm. I guess my my worry about that is we've just seen so many Mac coaches struggle recently. Clawson, Doran, um, you know, I don't know. It's, yeah, I mean, he's only in his first year, but. I know, but the, the thing the thing about I think a lot of those Mac guys were typically defensive guys. Flex an offensive guy, and that Western Michigan offense, you know, Lawson was at Bowling Green before Babers, so yeah, but, he's been uh, awake. Yeah, that's true, but I don't know. I just I I really I really like Fleck a lot, yeah. and I think that I, I think he's got the disposition, demeanor to turn a program like that around. What I don't get about some of these Mac coaches, I know they get a huge payday and they're, if they're smart, they're set for life doing it. But without question, the best Mac coach to take on a bigger job of all time is Urban Meyer. But he had that little sidestep to Utah, see if his system and style can work at a better school, Utah, of course, in the Mountain West at the time. I'm surprised we haven't seen Mac coaches jump to like the American or the Mountain West before going all in, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good point. I think that, you know, that's something maybe to consider. But, you know, it, it's going to be – the question then, if, if you're Purdue, is do you want to go with someone who's been a head coach before or do you want to go with some up-and-coming court, with some, with an up-and-coming coordinator? In the- I'm a huge Doc Holliday fan. I, I didn't want to get to where I was talking yeah. too long, but I'm a huge <laughs> Doc Holliday fan. Yeah, I, I think we're all pretty big uh, supporters of, of Holiday around these parts. So, um, well, I think the other thing from Purdue's perspective is they're just going through it with Hazel, who was a Mac coach. That's very true. That's very might true. make them gun shy. As good as PJ Fleck looks like he's going to be, I mean, he's got such a high ceiling. Yes, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think either way, all three coaches are on a ticking clock at this point. Definitely. Well, Coach, I know you've got uh, one more quick slant for us, uh, talking about uh, our, our good friend Ray Ray McLeod. Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna kind of take this. Uh, I'm gonna kind of take this and and go with uh, two fast screens again because uh, I'm I'm on I'm on fast screen left. And I'm gonna come back to fast screen right again um, because I just thought about this because I, I saw a snippet or I saw a mashup of Mike Leach's press conference. Um, so I, I want to get into that as well. But, yeah, Ray Ray McLeod, uh, Clemson, you know, they, they struggled this weekend too. Uh, they were in a tight one with Troy, which if we were talking about 2007, you know, this would be more of a story cause, or this would be less of a story because Troy was actually really good in 2007. But this is 2016, and Troy is not the same Troy that we all know and love. So um, it, it, was a, it was a tough game uh, for Clemson. It was a struggle. It was kind of one of those ultimate letdown games that you fear. Um, but, uh, you know, just when they were getting ready to blow the game open or blow the doors off the game, Ray Ray McLeod, Ray Ray McLeod takes a punt, returns it all the way to the house. You know, crowd's going nuts. The game's getting ready to blow wide open. It's probably going to be, you know, a 56-10 to 10 route um, at that point. Um, but uh, things changed a little bit. Ray Ray McLeod – decided he was going to celebrate and uh, he decided to start his celebrate a little too early, drop the ball. And, and this is a problem that he's not the first one to ever do this. So why he would, why he would ever do this is beyond me. 
Um, but he did. So I'm talking about it. He drops the ball at the half-yard line on his way into the end zone thinking, I just scored. They ain't going to call it. Well, they review it, and it's a, it's a touchback, and uh, no touchdown, no possession. And he makes the boneheaded – what's going to be probably the boneheaded play of the year. So I just wanted to draw light to that. But, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson had three touchdowns, so uh, he kind of made up for it and just kind of uh, – just kind of, uh, you know, saved Clemson. They won 30-24, uh, squeaked by Troy in a, in a, in a, in a tough contest. But uh, I wanted to talk about this. And I watched this earlier today, and I didn't think about it until just a few minutes ago. Um, you know, Mike Leach, you know, they lost this weekend 31-28 to Boise State. They start the season 0-2. So the Cougs just aren't what we thought they were going to be. Uh, you know, we thought they were going to be dark horses in, in the Pac-12, and it looks like they're not off to a good start. So what does Mike Leach do? Mike Leach rips them in the press conference. Uh, he rips their toughness, and he gets into specific detail. And here's some of the quotes that he said. Uh, he said, I've got receivers running routes that don't even resemble anything we teach. <laughs> we don't tuck the ball and go straight up the field. We do all these stupid moves. We run out of bounds more than any team in the country. We're the well, maybe the Cowboys should have done Yes. Oh. We're, we're the easiest team in the country to tackle. Defensively, we don't run our feet on contact. We don't on offense either. We don't like to run and hit, and this is a game for running and hitting. All right. and, and also some things he said was that, uh, you know, this is part of a generation where uh, everybody's soft and it's a give everybody a, a trophy. Uh, he calls it crap, um, and he said that you know his team has uh, has basically just been playing like crap. And he went to that specific list of things he uh, things his team does that don't play like toughness. So I'm gonna let you guys have a little bit of fun with that. But uh, if you go to footballscoop.com, uh, Aaron Levine, um, no relation to Adam Levine um, of the Fox affiliate up up there uh, in. Uh, in Washington State Territory, posted his uh, his press conference and posted a mashup of, of his quotes and it's kind of it's it's a good entertaining minute and seven seconds of it. Uh, he does a good job of cutting it down to where you get everything in that minute and seven seconds. So, um, you know, I'm just disappointed in Washington State and they really haven't played with any sort of toughness. They really just haven't competed or seem like they've been competing and and doing things necessary to win. So until they fix those stuff. Until they fix that stuff, it's going to be a rough go for the Cougs. But uh, I don't look forward to – if I'm a Cougar player, I don't, I don't look forward to, uh, to practice that week as, uh, as one of the ads pops up and, and enlightens us. So uh, I just wanted to shed some light say, on that. I would say he could punish them by running stairs, but I think Martin Stadium has like five rows. So oh, 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 God. That's – that's about as hard a burn as you can get. Absolutely. Luke Falk threw for 480 yards, which is kind of ridiculous. But he, uh, but he, uh, they only rushed for, looks like they only rushed for 40 yards. And, uh, That's a nice balance up. right there on that offense. Yeah. The, uh, the Purdue quarterback against uh, Cincy had one of the funniest stat lines. He was like, he was like 30 of 58. For four hundred and some yards, one touchdown, and five interceptions. <laughs> it's like gotta, gotta stop throwing it there after a while. Yeah, yeah. You think you, you think they get the idea, but apparently not. <laughs> but we're gonna move on to our bigger topics. And this week, uh, instead, of, instead of our first uh, recap, like we usually do, we're gonna talk uh, about three schools together, um, and that is the Armed Services of the United States of America. All three schools. 2-0 and for the first time since when, Josh? 1996. So 20 years, 20 years in the making, and all of our nation's uh, armed forces on the field are really tearing it up. Uh, just this past week, uh, Air Force uh, blew away Georgia, the Georgia State Panthers 48-14. to Navy won a nice conference game against the Yukon Huskies 28-24. to Army uh, handled Rice at home, thirty-one to fourteen, and uh, all three of these teams are 
making it work on the ground. Uh, Navy's passing a little bit more than the other two right now, but all these teams are really just tearing it up on the ground. So, you know, Josh, uh, this was this topic is sort of uh, it w- was your idea in the first place. So I'm going to cede the floor to you here. Yeah, and it sort of stems out of obviously Brandon Jackson passing away. It's a very sad story, but it's just amazing how well these teams are playing right now. You mentioned the rushing. Army is fourth in the country rushing the ball, but their defense, 13 and a half points allowed right now. They stoned Temple. That was so impressive. Rice is a struggling program and held them to just 14 points. Very nice. Navy, of course, getting after it. We know the uh, triple option attack that they use that is so incredibly deadly, producing a lot of yardage. You mentioned that they are passing a little bit more. I think that just goes to show the the caliber of athletes that they're really starting to get there at the academy. They are fifth in rushing. A defense not quite as stout as it was in past years, but 50 First is still uh, upper half of the nation. And then, of course, the Air Force Falcons doing it not only just with their beautiful helmets and they're debuting those shark helmets at Utah State is what I've heard, but uh, they are first. So we have three of their defense also very stout, 37th right now in the country, 17 and a half. And the uh, little ESPN projection thing has them all favored in their third game. So we could see each of them move to three. You know, and how about this? Here's a surprise. Army has been down for a long time. They're at UTEP, UTEP bigger school, a little bit bigger conference. Obviously Army's an independent, but you would sort of assume that Army would not be favored. Or if they were, it'd be like really close, like, 51-49. The matchup predictor has Army winning this game 72% of the time. So there is great stories in the making. They're all super fun to watch. And I'm just really excited to see the Commander's Trophy this year. These are going to be some of the best college football games of the year, the way they've been playing. I have a question. Hold on. I have a quick question before Coach interjects there. Gosh, what if all the what if they all go one and one in the Commander in Chief's Trophy? Do you know what the tiebreaker is? I have no idea. Maybe do they, do they all have to take on the. Um, well, I was gonna say maybe yeah, maybe the Marine and the Coast Guard forms a super team that they have to play. I don't know. It, they must do like they play the Merchant Marines. Oh, the Merchant Marine Academy. I always forget about them. Uh, they must do, like, point differential or something. I mean, there has to be a tiebreaker. Or maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they each get to hold the trophy. Maybe it's like one of those weird European soccer things where there is no tiebreaker. Huh. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. But, you know, what's going in Navy's favor is that um, they – they haven't always had to be resilient because they, they've always kind of been the, the top of the commander-in-chief uh, trophy, and they've always just kind of held it for the most part with uh, Air Force chipping in every once in a while to, uh, to claim the trophy. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's been all Navy uh, recently. So, uh, But Navy this year, they're, they're without Keenan Reynolds, and they're trying to have to figure out different ways to win. You know, they jump out against Connecticut. And I, watched, I actually watched a little bit of this game um, – uh, believe it or not, uh, after the Georgia game was on. But uh, Navy jumped out to a 21-point lead. Uh, they had some turnovers. They struggled a little bit. They blew that 21-point lead. Uh, and they needed a uh, late, extremely late game. Like, clock is about to hit triple zeros, fourth and goal, goal line stand to uh, to win the thing. And, uh, and they did. And uh, it was – it was probably one of those finishes where, you know, it, it's a team that, yeah, they fight and they fight for every win they get, but 
you know, when you when you look at it against opponents like this, they they don't usually ever have to have to do that kind of stuff. But it just kind of shows the the resiliency of this group, and and, and it really puts them in a good position with the Commander Chiefs Trophy to to uh, to fight in these tougher situations. Whereas Air Force really hasn't had to do that this year, and uh, and Army, well, Army, we'll see how they rally behind uh, the great tragedy they just had. So. Um, it'll it'll definitely be an interesting race for the Commander Chiefs Trophy, and and uh, I'm looking really for, I'm really looking forward to what Army can provide because I think they're probably gonna they're probably gonna get uh, the Illegal Motion College Football Award for most improved uh, after going two and ten a year ago. They're gonna compete and go to a bowl, so I think they're gonna you know and they're, and they're showing that right now. So yeah, so uh, just I want to throw this in there. It turns out that in the event of a tie, the award is shared. So, Josh, you were correct on that. But the previous winner retains actual possession of the actual trophy. Well, that's kind of annoying. (laughs) So, should we end up in a tie this year, Navy would retain the trophy. I think we should each get it for four months. So, um, but, yeah, the... uh, you know, I personally think that, yeah, the Coast Guard and the Merchant Marine Academy should get together, form a super team uh, from those two teams who are both uh, D3 teams and compete against uh, com- compete against the Army, Navy, and Air Force squad. What they're going to have is uh, actually have their prep schools play against each other for the tiebreaker. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Like um, Matt's playing against the West Point prep school and all that stuff. Josh, so the Commander in Chief's Trophy is a three-way trophy. Can you yes. name the three other uh, Division One football three-way trophies? Wow. Um, totally spitballing. I know Houston has Rice and Houston in it. Do they? I don't know if they have a third school. They've got SMU, right? Uh, they do, but, that, that, but that's not a trophy. Oh, well, it was a good guess. It was a noble effort. Um, that's a very good guess. Um, maybe, uh, I don't think they all play each other, but I'll throw it out there. Maybe Florida, Florida State, Miami do something? Yep, that is correct. Oh, sweet. Um, that, is, and, that is called the Florida Cup. And I hope to God Western Michigan, Central Michigan, and Eastern Michigan – that is, that is also yes! correct. Known as the Michigan Mac Trophy. Uh, it should just be called the Directional Trophy, and it should be a big it, compass. It, There's got to be something that the Louisiana schools do. No, unfortunately not. Um, the third one's going to definitely be the hardest, but it's actually very appropriate. It is called the Beehive Boot, and in the wake of the Holy War from this make, uh, the Beehive Boot goes between BYU, Utah, and Utah State. Um, so, yeah, so obviously the Holy War being the big rivalry there, but, um, you know, Indiana, Notre Dame and Purdue need to play for a trophy called the respectable program and two little brothers. (laughs) Yeah, but the same team would win that every single year. That's all right. Aspirations, baby. Give Give Indiana something to shoot for. Uh, I was going to say, I think that Iowa, Iowa State, Northern Iowa should play for one. <laughs> that would that would be unfair to Iowa State. Hey, Josh, just a yeah. just a fun Iowa fact. Um, yes, you're not the only one I talk to on a regular basis that is from the state of Iowa. Uh, I know. Our, our, everywhere. Our, our offensive line coach actually grew up in Iowa. Do you know? Yeah. What, do you know what town coach? I don't know what town. You need to figure uh, that out before the next podcast. I we will. Serious uh, Iowa football. And, uh, this is like this is like one of those Hawkeye too. Yeah. Well, I mean, people with class are. Um, <laughs> no, this is one of those jokes that only Iowans can say. It's really offensive if anyone else does. But the uh, ac- our state's actually an acronym for idiots out walking around. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, this podcast is quickly devolving, so we should really continue on um, and talk. Speaking about uh, idiots out walking around, that's pretty much how you can describe the referees at the Central Michigan Oklahoma State game. Nah. Um, so, uh, uh, 
hashtag segue. Um, and so, yeah, the Chippewas on one of the most absurd finishes that you will ever see in a college football game get the 30-27 to 27 victory over Oklahoma State on a play that should have never even happened. So, uh, Josh, you know, Cooper Rush had himself quite a game for Central Michigan, 361 yards, four touchdowns. But where do you want to start here? Well, this is going to surprise a lot of people because I hammered the refs after the Duke-Miami game. But, like, that one was super blatant. I am actually going to hammer Oklahoma State and say that they can just shut up about their whining. First of all, the rule is super dumb. That to have this one random exception, the refs didn't know about it, obviously. The coaching staff didn't know about it. Mike Mike Riley didn't even know. Wait, Mike Riley, what am I talking about? Oh, this is how fired up I am. Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy didn't even know that would be called. Yeah. Uh, Gundy didn't even know that they were going to call it intentional grounding. So I had no problem with the mistake. It happens. Look, the fifth down happened, Colorado versus Missouri. The uh, kick, the kicked ball, you know, from the 90s, that happened. The, so bad, bad breaks happen. But let's talk about the other 60 minutes of the game where Oklahoma State routinely shot themselves in the foot. Hey, you want to beat a team? Don't go one of eleven on third down. Don't have, don't be outgained in yardage. Don't have the ball ten minutes less than your opponent. Don't have fifty rushing yards on twenty-six carries. Oklahoma State played like crap. They were a three-touchdown favorite. They were awful. They even, they even stunk it up despite winning a turnover margin, which is usually an indicator of being able to win. I have no, no sympathy for Oklahoma State. They deserve to lose this game. And I also think that the people are bringing up the stink about, oh, they should be awarded the victory, blah, blah, blah. Think about the Central Michigan kids. They earned that win. And you want to take it away from them? I guarantee you if it was Oklahoma State losing in this heartbreaking fashion to Texas, no one would say – Oh, take the win away from Texas. Yeah, I I hate it that I hate that it uh, that it came down to this. But uh, I mean, people are saying that it's a huge mistake and you know should not have happened and, and all that stuff. But again, you know, you're you're Oklahoma State. You're you're contending for a Big Twelve title, and Central Michigan comes in and and beat you for the other 59 and uh, 50 seconds of the game. Uh, I don't know. It just, it irritates me that, you know, A, you're going to complain about it and you let it get to that point. You know, you always say, if you're, if you're in a game like this, do not leave it up. Or actually if you're in any game, do not leave the game in the hands of the officials because they will always kind of screw you. Uh, Here's that situation right here. And, And it's a tiny adjustment to a rule. And you can't really hammer the refs. I mean, yes, they're getting paid handsomely to, to, to know this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, also uh, Article B, Article 3B of the NCAA rulebook says when the, official, when the referee declares that the game has ended, the score is final. Um, and and they, de- they determined that intentional grounding uh, was, was a penalty that you can't end the game on. So they got an untimed down. They made the play. They called the game, and it was uh, it was over from there. So, I mean, it was a great play. It was a wild finish, and it made for for some good headlines. But you know, it's I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to really say. Yeah, they screwed up, but you know that that's going to happen. Refs are going to screw up. You know, your defense has got to overcome all that. Your defense has got to make a stop there. Your de- you know your team's got to play better throughout the course of the game, and none of this happens. And we're not talking about this. We're talking about potential, you know, we're talking about a potential for disaster. We're talking about a game that Iowa State struggled but managed to pull out. Instead, we're – but because their defense couldn't stand up and make a play, uh, we're talking about a great upset, and we're talking about a huge controversy. Yeah, and I want to talk about Mason Rudolph real quick because I don't think his junior year is really off to that great of a start. He, he doesn't look like – Quite the same guy this year so far. This, in this game, he was 27 of 43 for 286 yards and two touchdowns. But 
it just he it feels very labored, and it doesn't feel like he has the same control of this offense as he has had over the past two years. So I'm I'm a little bit worried about this passing attack going forward. And you know they averaged 1.9 yards per carry on the ground uh, in, in against Central Michigan. And I don't think that's really going to improve all that much going into Big 12 play. So I was pretty high on this Oklahoma State team coming into this year. But I am uh, getting a little bit more worried as the season is progressing. So um, let's continue on, though, from um, one uh, one uh, sort of – one, one sense of uh, ridiculous calls to a ridiculous amount of people in a stadium where Tennessee beat Virginia Tech in uh, Bristol, Tennessee this past week in front of the largest crowd in the history of college football. Um, the, the Tennessee Volunteers just uh, ran up and down the field over Virginia Tech getting 239 yards on the ground. And, you know, they got... 99 from Jalen Hurd, 106 from Joshua Dobbs, and really just started to put it on uh, Virginia Tech. So, Josh, what were some of your takeaways here from uh, the Vols-Hokies matchup? I think my takeaway is that although the score was very impressive and the ground game was very impressive, Tennessee still has some stuff to work out. They gave up 400 yards to a Virginia Tech team that we're still not sure if they're very strong offensively yet. They were only 91 passing yards, 10 of 19. I mean, it's great, and it certainly gives them confidence after the Appalachian State game. But as someone who was buying a lot of stock in Tennessee, this was by no means a flawless performance. And it's against a team that we don't have very high expectations for in the ACC with a first-year coach and a completely revamped offense yeah I mean you know up to a certain point uh in the first half you were you were thinking that Virginia Tech they've they've jumped out to a 14-0 lead and and you're thinking that this game is going to go in favor of the Hokies and everything that we said about Tennessee was, was true at that point you know again they gave up 400 yards of, of, of total offense here uh, they gave up, you know, it just looked like they still had some question marks to, to answer. But, you know, the defense came away with a huge play. Not only did it did it help them uh, cut the lead in half, it helped give them the momentum that they needed to blow the game wide open. Uh, Josh Dobbs actually came out in the second half and looked like an SEC East winning quarterback, uh, had three touchdowns. Um, they just – they played – they played probably the best football that they, you know, that's probably the best string of football they played uh, in, in a half that they've played, you know, at, at, at any point this season. You know, they looked like a team that could could contend in the East. But, uh, you know, Jawan Jennings caught a touchdown, uh kid from Blackburn that, that I know personally and coached for, for a season. Um, but, you know, I still worry about what Tennessee has. You know, I, I still – I still wonder can they can they get through the rigors of an SEC schedule uh, with the question marks they have on the offensive line, especially uh, you know can their defense hold up series after series after series against these opponents on their schedule, especially when they run through Georgia, Florida, Alabama, uh, let's say the least Kentucky's proved that they haven't been much of an opponent, but. Um, can can they hold up with their early schedule? Can they get to the latter half of their schedule uh, with their season dreams still intact? If they do, they run away with the East and they represent the East in Atlanta. Um, if they can just make it through, the, the if they can just make it through the midpoint of October, I, I think their schedule gets a lot easier. Um, but uh, you know, it's just you know the Hokies. They're a team that still needs to learn how to finish games. They still need to learn how to win. They still need to learn ball security and, and just everything that it takes. And with the new coaching staff, you're going to see some things like that. So um, I, I was a little bit encouraged about what Virginia Tech did, especially early on in the game. But they just got to learn how to finish and, and just and just keep and just keep putting that pressure and keep applying that pressure. And they'll they'll be fine. I think they're well coached, so um, they're, they're going to be they're going to be just yeah. fine. Yeah, I don't think Tennessee can rely on recovering five fumbles 
to win games. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but let's keep, let's keep it rolling here and move to a game that was just a little bit closer, and that is the 45-40 victory for the San Diego State Aztecs over the Cal Golden Bears. Uh, in our preview for this week, we said that uh, Cal better be re- ready for San Diego State's rushing attack. Um, they weren't. Uh, to the tune of 334 yards on the ground, most of which came from uh, podcast favorite Donnell Pumphrey, who had 29 carries for 288 yards and three pounds. Um, not to be outdone, uh, Davis Webb, Cal, Cal quarterback, 522 yards through the air and five touchdowns, but also three picks. So, uh, Josh, uh, what you know, uh, it, does this game say more about San Diego State or about Cal? I think it says a lot about San Diego State. I mean, Cal knew that they were going to get run that a lot. Cal is probably the more talented team once you factor in all the people that are second and third stringers because I am still going to assume that the Power 5 team is deeper. I'm sure these SDSU starters can make it on any team, but I'm not so sure about the second stringers. Um, SDSU found a way to win a shootout, which was certainly one of my concerns because I knew that they had a great defense, but they're going to face some really good teams. And, I mean, Davis Webb, Outside of those picks was incredible. I mean, 41 of 72, having that percentage with 72 attempts, 522 yards. I mean, that's a really, really impressive day. That's an onslaught to face. And the defense found a way to make enough stops, found a way to intercept three passes. So I'm thoroughly impressed with what SDSU did. And honestly, I'm kind of – Less concerned about Cal now. I, I thought Cal had a lot of concerns coming this year, and for them to give up 31 points to Hawaii in their opener, I, I thought this was going to be a blowout. And for Cal to be competitive with arguably the most underrated team in the country said a lot to me. I, I think that they'll be able to, to hold their own in the Pac-12 and with Washington State not being as good as we expected. You know, maybe Golden Bears can win a few more games than we thought. I don't know if any of us had them in a bowl or not, but Cal might not be atrocious, and San Diego State has shown that they can win in a multitude of ways, and that's why I want to actually give a little bit of applause to Christian Chapman. 129 yards, 14-23, not amazing, but just enough to keep teams honest. It wasn't like he went – two of 10 and that was all they got from him. They were willing to throw the ball 23 times. Yes. And uh, I I was, I was talking about my rookie of the year candidates in the PAC 12 when we did our, uh, when we did our previews and I talked about Demetrius Robertson, uh, probably one of the best signees that Cal's probably ever had. (laughs) Um, Four catches, 81 yards. Um, He's, you know, he's, he's starting to kind of play play a big role in this this passing attack including a big 59 yard touchdown yeah exactly uh and they have a guy named bug austin blake rivera yeah i did not know how he didn't make the all-name team we we must uh we must uh squashed him in our uh he's a he's a jitterbug man he's a little guy he's only about five six yeah (laughs) no quiz camante stovall they they have a they're gonna win the they're gonna win uh i'll tell you what they're gonna be hell at, at scrabble um, all they got to do is just put their names down, and, and they will blow anybody out in Scrabble. Um, Donnell Pumphrey, um, a guy I need to give a, uh, an, an additional shout-out to. I, I think that, you know, anytime you can uh, exert your dominance over a bigger league team, uh, 29 carries, 281 yards, three touchdowns. He had a long of 57. Anytime you can do that and you're the lesser conference team, that, that's that's just impressive, and and I talked about year of the running back, and uh, we we might be talking about uh, he, he he's a name that that I'm definitely going to bring up if I if I hashtag year of the running back again. Uh, you know, you have Nick Chubb, Leonard Fournette, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Donnell Pumphrey. Uh, those are some names that I think about 
uh, Donnell Pumphrey could start any team in the in, right now. I, I feel like with, with his performance, he could probably start on any roster in that Pac-12 conference. It's a uh, year of the running back to electric boogaloo. Um, yeah, you, this – I, I, I can't wait for San Diego State, Boise State to get here. That, that game is going to bring some real fireworks. Uh, I mean, they, they don't play each other, so you've already I'll got it. They're playing, they're playing the Mountain West title game. I, I don't even think we need to play the rest of the season. Just, just put them there. Wow. Um, th- th- those two teams are head and shoulders the best above the rest of that conference. Yeah. But um, Force will still be pesky. Air Force is going to be pesky, but I, I don't think they have the horses to really compete with those two guys. Um, but let's move to what was, for my money, the most exciting game of the week, um, and that is the crazy double overtime victory for the Arkansas Razorbacks uh, over over TCU, forty-one to thirty-eight. Um, I, I've given uh, Bert Bielema some uh, a piece of my mind every now and again on this podcast. But I want to. I want to give a very generous tip of my cap to that two-point conversion play that he had with a minute left in the fourth quarter. The reverse pass back to the quarterback. No one saw it coming. He was absolutely wide open. That was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant play calling from uh, the former Badger head man and. Uh, we also have to, if we're going to be tipping our cap to uh, Brett and that play call, we definitely have to give a little wag of our finger to Kenny Trill because he is, you know, he had some big stats in this game, but his uh, his Ray Ray McLeod moment of the throat slash, which he actually did twice, uh, but only got called for it once after the uh, after scoring the go ahead touchdown with two minutes left. It was a 15-yard personal foul penalty that every single person who plays or watches college football knows. You can't do the throat slash. What does he do? Gets a throat slash. They're kicking off from the 20. Uh, Arkansas takes it, gets a big return. Um, they're starting from, you know, the, they've got a short start on, and that allows Arkansas to score the tying uh, touchdown and two-point conversion and go ahead and win in overtime. So, uh, you know, uh, Coach, I actually want to start with you here because do you think that Kenny Trill's uh, throat slash was a worse gaffe than Ray Ray McLeod? Yes, uh, because, you know, he knew it was against the rule. Maybe I'll, I'll give – I'll give in this situation, I'll give Ray Ray McLeod the benefit of the doubt of maybe he thought he was he was in the end zone, uh, still probably one of the most boneheaded plays of the year. But this was just a kind of a blatant – I say it's a worse gaffe, not because of the uh, stupidity of the mistake, just because of the boldness of, of what he was doing. He knows he can't throat slash. He knows that's against the rules. And I, I feel like it's just he didn't care. He's just kind of saying, you know what, screw you, ref. I'm going to make you call it on me. I'm going to throat slash anyway. Uh, and, and, and he really just – just a selfish move, really. And, and so I, I'm going to consider that a worse mistake. Uh, because of that reason right there, but just because he he knew better. Than well, that. especially because, you know, they had just – TCU had just scored three consecutive touchdowns to take the lead. They were down 20-7 to seven going into the fourth quarter. They get three fourth-quarter touchdowns. They're up 20-20. to 20. There's two minutes left. You know, and it's just – it's such a – like, Coach, you said it perfectly. It's a selfish play. And anyone who has spent any time watching football, playing football, knows that's the one thing you can't – that's the one gesture you really can't do. Yeah, absolutely. You said it was the second second time he'd done it in the game. It wouldn't even surprise me if the ref told him that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Because sometimes – refs will be lenient and they'll say, Hey, like just reminder, that's, that's against the rules. Don't do that again. Yeah. And so I mean, uh, Josh, what, what, what are your thoughts here on, on the, on the pigs? Yeah. I mean, coach, put, even coach put it perfect. I mean, this is so selfish. Hats off to Arkansas, but I mean, Kenny Hill just showing it again. I mean, he's got, he, he's drinking whatever Johnny Manziel did down there in A&M and, it's just going to be – if he's going to do that, it's going to be a rough year for TCU because that shows a lack of leadership. 
all that defense that we think of TCU, it, it's not happening this year. So that's going to make for, for a long season. I'm not saying long as in they're going to fall apart and go like four and eight. But it's going to be a disappointing like eight and four, nine and three, because they've got some obvious flaws defensively. Kenny has lack of leadership. And then also running the ball, 195 yards on 32 carries looks great. It looks great, but 93 of it on 15 carries came from Kenny Hill. I mean, where's the running back? How's that going to step up? I mean, that, that's a concern also. So hats off to Arkansas, gritty win. That really helps Bielema, who I'm not sure his seat was ever as hot as people think it was or maybe even wanted it to be, but, but this was a big road game for him and an improving program, but – there are some cracks in the TCU foundation going on right now. Yeah, well, and, that's, and Josh, you mentioned Kenny Hill getting 93 yards on the ground. That's what's such a shame. That's what we should be talking about is that Kenny Hill, uh, besides being those boneheaded mistakes, he played a great game, 470 total yards, three touchdowns, like, you know, slinging the ball all around the field, especially to Cavante Turpin, who that dude can freaking fly. If he gets in the open field, no one is touching him. Uh, he had seven catches for 126 yards, you know, uh, and – but it's just, of course, he makes these stupid, selfish plays, and that's what we end up talking about because that's what cost them the game. And I, I – watching the game, uh, we were in we were in a cabin in Montana watching this game um, on Saturday night, and we were all just completely dumbfounded uh, about what was happening and just, you know – you know, watching that fourth quarter, seeing TCU go up, the crowd's going crazy, and then Arkansas coming back, you know, the TCU fans are despondent. It was absolutely, positively insane. And um, also, the winning touchdown by Austin Allen. Austin Allen, not exactly the most mobile quarterback, but, man, he muscled his way through about five Horn Frog defenders to get to the end zone uh, to get the game-winning score in double overtime. And that was a really ballsy, ballsy run, ballsy play. Austin Allen played a great game. 223 yards from 17 for 29 doesn't look great on paper, but he was in such great control of that game from start to finish. And I am, I am very much impressed by the balance attack from this Arkansas squad in this game. They didn't have nearly as many yards as TCU did, but they also didn't turn the ball over. So, um, well, You mentioned that two-point conversion. I'm curious what you guys thought of BYU going for the win. I love it. I, mean, I love it too. I mean, what, what, I mean really, you know. What your BYU, you struggle, you're, you're breaking a new staff. I mean, yeah, what, what, you know, what do you have to lose, honestly? You, know, you go for two, you make it, great. You don't, you know, maybe, maybe you're, not, you're not as deep as, as Utah. You know, maybe, you, maybe that was your only chance to win because you know if you take them into overtime, you're not going to last because their depth is greater than yours. So, Also, like, you know what, the, the game was at Utah – and I've always been of the mindset of you play for the tie at home and you play for the win on the road. Yeah. yeah. I was just surprised by it. I've always kind of thought of, you know, if you're like Jack Del Rio and you know you can't stop him, that's a good call. But, man, Utah held to six points in that second half. It turned the ball over six times. I thought BYU's defense was in a zone. I, I – I might have just played it safe personally. Well, I mean, and you know, I, I, you could definitely, you know, especially you know, after the fact, you can definitely understand that. But in the moment, I probably would have made the same call. So I really, I don't, I don't blame them. I don't blame yeah. them. So it's well, that's an interesting one. Yeah, but it's always fun to debate. It's, it's going to be a fun one. Well, that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Legal Motion College Football Podcast. But we'll be back with, for a nice week three preview uh, to look at some, hopefully some uh, bigger, better games uh, for the upcoming weekend, including Oregon visiting Lincoln, Nebraska, USC at Stanford, um, and some other big ones uh, from around the country. So um, on behalf of Josh Cook in Chicago, Illinois. And the one in Norman. Um, oh, yeah, the big one in Norman and the coach, uh, not to mention Florida State of Louisville. Um, uh, the, 
we coach Corey Burton in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. This is the Professor Matt Perkin saying so long, and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Akron had a long day, but JoJo naps in. One hell of a punt return, kid. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.